Ted. Yo. How are you bearing up? I'm I'm pretty good. Uh, I mean, every day is like I was going to say every day is like Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um we took well, I I was saying we it was me that did it. I took we took this weekend and last weekend off, but we've had a ton of messages from people nobody complaining, I have to say. There's a ton of messages from people saying they kind of really appreciate getting the podcast and feeling grounded in some sense of normality. So yeah. back to two a week, normal services resumed. I did, I did put a little um, message on Twitter saying, yeah, taking a little break this weekend. Someone wrote back, oh yeah, where are you off to? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Barbados, the sunning, <laughs> the beaches in Miami, the yeah. usual. I, I had an isolation birthday on, on uh, Monday. Thank you very much for my lovely mug. Ed sent me a lovely Eric Cantona mug. It was a nice surprise. I made myself a cake and then suddenly realised, oh, we have a Houston, we have a problem in that I'm in the house on my own with a giant birthday cake. Um, so uh, fortunately, I had to do a medicine delivery to my mum. So I was also I was able to combine that with some cake and then I didn't have to eat the whole cake myself. At some point, I thought I was just going to be knocking on neighbours' doors, like dropping cake on the porch and running away. But I, I didn't have to do that in the end. Very good. Um, so what's been going on? Yeah, well, uh, you were saying that... I mean, I guess... Let's have some meltdown chat. You were saying that Arsenal are in meltdown and then uh, Paul Pogba, beyond innocently... Yes. Beyond innocently, sent the football world into meltdown once again. And honestly... It must be really difficult being Paul Pogba. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to hear what's going on with Arsenal. Well, uh, on the last pod, we talked a little bit about how the PFA and the Premier League talks had broken down. So this idea that uh, the players could take something uh, of a wage, either a wage deferral or a cut, or maybe a bit of both, um, up to something like the level of 30%. Uh, a lot of Premier League chairmen slash owners are extremely worried about the finances. They should be. Football is not returning anytime soon. Uh, all the broadcast contracts are under threat. It's potentially a billion-pound problem for the, the Premier League. Um, so there's been an effort. Uh, that broke down, so they couldn't get a league-wide collective agreement. Um, and then it's sort of been up to clubs to try and get collective agreements. It doesn't look like, by the way, United are pushing for this at the moment, but maybe news will come out about this. United are in a, a relatively good position, although it could get quite painful for the club still. Um, but over at Arsenal, uh, someone has been leaking because there's all sorts of stuff coming out of Arsenal about um, just how badly this has gone down. So the Cronkies, the owners, now uh, full owners of Arsenal, uh, have sought to impose a 30% cut on the on the squad. This is on top of the likely 25% cut for not making next year's Champions League. Um, and uh, and it's, uh, to say it has not gone down well is uh, an understatement, it would appear. Um, so amusing for those of us who like to see Arsenal in something of a, a meltdown. Um, but... Um, but it also says something about the state of the finances at a club that's supposedly in a, in a very healthy financial position. And that should tell us something about the very precarious position that uh, the Premier League as a whole is in. Because for all that revenue, um, it is what Alan Sugar calls prune juice. It just goes straight out 
to the players. And so most, well, all last financial accounting, all but five Premier League clubs made a loss. I mean, it's mad, isn't it? It's like the, and we were talking about that John McKenzie anonymous player interview, and he was saying like the idea that all, like just all the money goes to the players. And and we know this, more broadcast contracts just doesn't mean that clubs get better run or they get better managed. United's kind of commercial advantage at this point is their commercial advantage, isn't it? It's just literally the volume of money that they bring in and the kind of, um, what's the word, Diver- uh, the, the fact that it's fairly diversified compared to clubs who have like broadcast stream, gate receipt stream, match day income stream, and then some commercial income. Um, but the amount of money that goes out is just just completely unsustainable if you pause football for two months. Yeah, sure. And and we should think about the long-term impact of this on football. It's going to be pretty significant. So when stories are going around this this uh, this past week that United might make a £200 million bid for Kane, it's, it's never a chance. There's just never a chance that this is going to happen at that kind of scale. Just no. Football is going to have to trim its sails really significantly, including Manchester United, because the impact on United, if the season doesn't finish, will be £50 million in broadcast. And it might not be give us our money back. It might be discounts on future year's deals. Um, Significant impact on, on next year's revenue because the club would presumably be back in the Europa League. This is if the season was voided. Um, and the discount from Adidas. This is why everyone is pushing. It's like, doesn't matter if it finishes in 2023, we're finishing this season yeah. and then we'll go from there. Yeah. And and it the I mean the two hundred million pound for Harry Kane, by the way, just a brief side note, uh that would be history's stupidest ever football transfer. And there's some competition, like Harry Kane, a player very clearly in decline, not not peaking. So, you know, I mean, I'm not saying like he's going to be useless in two seasons time. I just mean, if you somehow were able to spend 200 million on Harry Kane five years ago, that would be really smart. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking, I was actually looking at his uh, numbers um, today ahead of this podcast and and uh, it's gone down. It depends on metrics, of course, but, you know, sort of aggregate grouping of various important metrics per 90 have basically all gone down each year for the last four years, and he's got his injury problems as well. So it would be a dumb one. And it's not going to happen anyway, even if it yeah. <laughs> was Anyway, so what else has been happening this week? Um, so friend of the show, Sam Homewood, who is the host of the official Manchester United podcast, has a really nice style. I mean, I'm, he's my friend, obviously, so like I'm, I am biased. Um, but he has a really nice style when he asks difficult questions of United players and ex-players. And they're not like probing intense journalistic questions. They're, they're not, that's not what it's for. But he does, he doesn't shy away from difficult subjects. And he does it with this kind of twinkle of like, look, we're all grown-ups here. We all know what's happened. And he does a fantastic job of it. He made an offhand joke. They were talking about, the question was like, what's it like to be so talked about all the time? And Pogba said, you know, like I've taken to not watching the punditry. I can't really watch the punditry, 
which if I was Paul Pogba, I certainly wouldn't be watching any punditry. That is for sure. I'd be cherry picking whose advice and guidance I wanted about where I could improve. I wouldn't be watching what Jamie Redknapp's got to say. Um, Sam said, pretty jokingly, um, if I was you, I would have sent Graham Souness a picture of me of me with the World Cup. Um, and Paul Pogba kind of like kind of has a moment of recognition and goes, Oh yeah, like I didn't know who he was. He is not having one percent of a dig. He's telling the honest truth. David May then lacking journalistic insight in a, uh, or instincts in a very big way jumps in and goes oh he didn't know who we were either and that's that's another conversation but um the reaction to this like i saw a little it's very predictable yeah i saw a little pull quote that joe had put together joe.co.uk and i had to i had to go at my friend that works there like this is like really out of order because it says like i've never heard of graham Sooness or whatever I mean, that is actually literally not a quote. You know, Pogba didn't say I've never... He said, oh, yeah, I had never heard of him. It's like when some... Uh, Billy Eilish had never heard of some band. I can't even remember what band it was. Some band that you and I would obviously have heard of. And it's like, well, it's because she's a 17-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. And I, look, I think it's fine for Paul Pogba, who wasn't... Probably wasn't... When was Pogba born? Mid-80s or something like that? He was born after... Sooness's heyday to not remember Sooness, especially since he did not grow up in English football culture. Do you think so, Scott? So why why would you? And I don't think this is a problem. I think it'd be more more. It'd be much more funny if Sam had gone for the journalistic. Is it not true, sir, <laughs> that you think Sooness is a scumbag? <laughs> <laughs> that might have been funnier. This was this like fully did my head in because. Like, no wonder footballers can't act like adults in and talk about things with some honesty and sanity because the world goes insane when they like cough funny. Like obviously the Carragher quote where he said show him, show us your medals that was also taken out of context because he said that with like a big grin on his face like making light of it. So the whole thing is just people taking football about three thousand percent too seriously all the time and Paul Pogba being a weird magnet for I'm like do you think Scott McTominay knows who Jean Digana is like maybe because he was the manager of Fulham maybe do you think he knows who like Donna Doney is it's insane yes all very amusing he's been living rent free inside Sunis's head for some time and now inside the heads of everyone in Liverpool as well it seems um so this week uh, united lit up old trafford we, we talked a lot about united's relationship with the nhs uh, been donating food and kit and medical staff and other stuff stuff that's having a material impact um and they lit up old trafford as uh, um, like unlit some of the letters, so it says NHS United or just NHS, which was a nice gesture. Old Trafford looked fabulous. They made it blue and stuff like that. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. I mean... And cool. And and it didn't half trigger my cynical... <laughs> <laughs> the cynical siren going off in my head. So, I mean, Twitter was full of people sort of, you know, clap, this is super classy... Clap, clap, clap emojis. And I was like, yeah, sure, you know, it's great. But at the same time, you know, over the pond 5,000 miles away, Ed Glazer in particular, but uh, the other family members have been running fundraising 
um, high dollar uh, donor events for Trump for the last four years. And, and Trump this week, in fact, was another stage of it's a 14 Republican attorney general versus Obamacare going up to the Supreme Court. That will strip 30 million people of their health care. Yeah. So it's like so it. it- and and you, that doesn't have to matter to Manchester United fans, except for the context that our owners couldn't give a f- about people's health care. Yeah, in fact, they are actively campaigning to deny people public health care. Yeah. And we, and we can these these two things. You know, there's obviously a dichotomy here, but these two things can exist at the same time. It can be a nice gesture, yeah. but it's a gesture. It 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 literally is a nice gesture. And you know, you, you as you always say, you can hold two thoughts in your head at once, and. Um, this is like a classic example of we can hold the two thoughts in our head at once of recognizing because the people that made the decision to do that probably not the same people that are fundraising to re- strip people millions of people of healthcare in the states. Of 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 course, yeah, of, co- of course. But it doesn't have to be that Tampa phones up, you know, bat phone to Ed Woodward. Hey, Ed, we need you to light up the Manchester United sign to support the NHS because we're scumbags and we'd like you to paper over that. And, you know, <laughs> no. I know that doesn't happen like that. No. <laughs> but it's um, the there's a kind of the image of United with NHS. Like next time I'm there, I will definitely think of that image. That image is seared in my brain. And one of the things that I think is very interesting is that people don't realise what an intensely political image it actually is i mean we've just had this thing where this this amazing old guy has been doing a hundred laps of his garden for his birthday it's captured the national attention the last time i has saw someone been checking he's really been doing a full lap yeah, yes they have actually from he's, he's been he's been cutting the corners hasn't he <laughs> um the last i saw is that the total raised was 12 million pounds which is an extraordinary collective act of generosity from uh the british people um all of whom could do with being reminded when the next election comes around that the NHS is not a charity. We're not supposed to have to fundraise for the NHS. It's it's public health. Now, I am, I've given money to health service charities while this is going on. I'll continue to do so as I'm able to. I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. I also think we need to wave a flag every now and again that goes public health service I mean, now we're dealing with a catastrophe that wasn't expected and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But really, um, it shouldn't be down to... It's just like food banks. I would happily give money to food banks. Again, like have done, but um, they shouldn't They shouldn't have to exist. And they certainly shouldn't have to be funded by individual donations. Um, so it's it's the whole two thoughts in the head. But I'll remember the image of the of united lit up with the nhs and and i hope it lives large in people's memory for a really long time i mean i i think the public goodwill to the nhs will last for a generation at least after this um and and will probably pretty dramatically change some aspects of public policy but we'll see well maybe maybe but that's a whole other podcast maybe we'll have a chat about that on uh on the bonus content at some point yeah should we move on to this week's game uh, talking of things that should be free, but we're going to charge for. <laughs> we'll talk about it on the bonus content. <laughs> we hope you're enjoying the No Question About That podcast. We are open for sponsorship, so if uh, you run the kind of business that would be interested in sponsoring our show, just drop us an email at nqatpod at gmail.com. 
Um, yeah, let's talk about this week's game. An incredible nostalgia fest for me because, as, as I said at the end of the show last week, this is a game which has a, a weirdly intense significance in my life. I would say that more than anything, this is the game that's why I'm a United fan because the 1985 FA Cup final, which I remember, um, I don't remember any of the... De- I remember watching, I don't remember any of the detail of it. And after that, it was like, I knew I was a United fan, mostly just because I was copying you, Ed. That's literally why I mostly did it. Um, Because you were older than me and seemed to know what you were doing. Um, But this game, uh, somehow I had the second half on VHS and just rinsed it and watched it over and over and over again. And this was was why United are my team, really. Um, So it's Tottenham Hmm. 3, Manchester United 3 from December 96. Did you know Alex Ferguson's second ever home game? Yeah, and and I did know this because you told me earlier. And I looked oh, yeah. up. oh yeah, it's, it's only his fifth game as Manchester United manager, so he's really fresh out the blocks in this one. And and this is a United team very short on confidence. First half of this season, so this takes place on the seventh of December, nineteen eighty six. Ron Atkinson was sacked on the fifth of November. And just look at the results, and they are awful. <laughs> awful and and not it's not just that it's the attendances are really bad there's only 35,000 in this game I think generally attendances in English football are pretty bad at this time yeah Motson says doesn't two, he if it's if two they... years after high school English teams aren't in Europe yeah the the idea that there's trouble at grounds is prevalent yeah and so on and you know there's and it wouldn't take long before the government was pushing for identity cards for footballs, brand football fans, brand football fans, basically. Um, so anyway, so England, English football's in the doldrums a little bit. United are definitely in the doldrums. Uh, Atkinson has left, you know, some talented players, but a pretty poor squad. I mean, there's definitely some talented players in this. And um, I think uh, for context, United end up finishing 11th um, behind... Everton win the title, Liverpool, Spurs who come third, Arsenal, and then it's um, Norwich, Wimbledon, Luton, Forest, Watford and Coventry. I was like, <laughs> wow, some giants there coming ahead of United. Yeah, Motson says at the end of this game if that that this these kind of games will bring the crowds back to English football. And it's just incredible to hear that. Um, Simon... A friend of the show, Simon Stevens, messaged me during this, during watching this game to say it feels like this is the biggest leap in time between games because I think it's seven years before the 91 uh, Cup final. Uh, that's that's five years, isn't it? Um, but that leap of time, like everything changed. Football's, this looks like olden days football, really. But not the product on the pitch, necessarily. Like... I, th- there was th- that game. It didn't feel really antiquated, apart from, of course, the back pass rule, which is just the best invention ever. Not being allowed to kill people by murdering them from tackling them from behind, and the back pass rule are the two best things that have happened to football in the last fifty years. Yeah, there, there was a there was a piece in the paper this week where uh, Michael Oliver, the referee, Michael Oliver, um, re-refereed the nineteen seventy cup final between Leeds and Chelsea and gave 11 red cards. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they really cherry-picked their game there, didn't they? I think I think so, yeah. <laughs> hmm, let's work back from the headline we'd like. <laughs> yeah. uh, and anyway, um, uh, so yes, this game was not like that. But look, there were some 
it, it, there were definite patches of poor quality in this game. I mean, some good stuff from United, but a lot of like, like launch it forward, uh, just knock it into the channels. No real confidence there. I mean, we have said uh, we have said that about almost every game, haven't we? Knock knock the ball forward quickly into the channels. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I wouldn't say that Ferguson's pattern of play has been like imprinted on this team by this point five no. games in or anything like that it just looks like a team that's not in you know not huge amounts of confidence funnily enough to be honest it just looks like a moist team um if you can say that they just they just knock it into the channels and um it's pretty basic two up front uh so yes so the starting level it's definitely an evolution in in united's uh play yeah. Spurs a bit different but we'll get on to that. We'll talk about um, the one thing that Fergie clearly had done, which is he's clearly spent a month working on set pieces because it's like, well, this is the first thing we can do to get some gosh darn goals. Um, and we'll come on to that. The starting 11, Chris Turner, a goalkeeper I had literally, and I do mean literally, forgotten existed. When I saw him, I was like, is that Les Seeley? That's not Les Seeley. And then, because I, I had really just remembered it went Bailey, Leighton, Seely, no. but no, it's Bailey. It was Bailey, Bailey turn, Bailey, Bailey Turner, Leighton. Yeah, Seely. Yeah, yeah. And no, I remember Chris Turner. I remember, I remember him being now. a midget. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> completely born out in this game in which he struggled. I was going to say he struggled under the high ball, but it was a kind of medium ball he struggled under. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, like reputation as a shot stopper and. Uh, and a deep and a good shot stopper, but like just the his Wikipedia page says, like he he's known to lack physical presence. It's like citation needed, citation not needed. Just watch this game between United and Tottenham in nineteen eighty six. Needed, um, <laughs> yeah. And it and it only takes two minutes for him to make his first error of the game, uh, in which it's not uh, it's not a high ball, but he spills a shot uh, from from Chris Waddle, I think. No, Chris Waddle skins. Olsen down the right and gets the ball in and uh, Clive Allen comes in. Well, it's the shot that comes in, Turner spills it and Allen hits the post. I yeah. think it's like two minutes in or something like that. Whoever's wearing number four for Spurs headed the ball on target. Roberts. And that's it. Roberts, yeah, and then, yeah. Oh yeah, Roberts, because Monty kept going on about how, oh, McMenemy. McMen- oh God, Laurie McMenemy is a difficult co-commentator. Uh, co-commentary not really changed much in the last 100 years, apparently. The, so the rest of the United starting eleven, um, you have uh, Siva back at right back. World Cup played in the World Cup nineteen eighty six for Denmark, right? Um, he did, and he would make the place his own for an, another season or so under Fergie, but uh, didn't play much in this particular campaign. Yeah. Then you've got McGrath and Moran start together at the back. McGrath, obviously world class central defender. Moran, you know. Very popular with United support for reasons. Um, and who's playing left back? Alberston. No, Duxbury. No, Duxbury. Uh, Duxbury. The, the right. reason yeah. that I knew that is because in my head, Alberston and Duxbury are interchangeable. <laughs> well, and, and and they were, yeah. in fact, yeah. <laughs> for some time, yeah. Um, then in midfield, we've got Jesper Olsen. Oh, man. Like, just the epitome of a flighty talented winger of the era like just a man out of time would have been a number 10 under Pep Guardiola yes because not just because his hair looks quite a lot like David Silva's but weird long bowl cut 
Um, yeah, it, it didn't. It didn't really work out for him at United in the sort of late eighties or so. And it's only a couple of seasons after this that he's sort of booted out of United by Ferguson. But he's another um, World Cup player, so we've got now three players in this starting eleven that have either already or will go on to play in World Cups. Um, and then, of course, in the middle of the park, uh, quite the powerhouse midfield, really. Um, Brian Robson. Let, like utter absolute all-time legend and Remy Moses who in some ways was maybe Brian Robson's best central midfield partner is that yeah I mean Moses's career was ruined by injuries yeah basically he would he would have played uh, many more games for United if it wasn't for that of course he he arrived at United only just before Robson I think in the same season I think it was 81 and uh, yeah, very very talented player, just yeah suffered with injury. Yeah, and then on the right, talking of very talented players playing in a position that we sort of don't really associate him with him, but we definitely played there a lot. Was uh, another World Cup alumni, Wee Gordon Strachan. I absolutely adored Gordon Strachan as a kid. Olsen and Strachan definitely, um, apart from Robson, my favourite players in this team at the time. Just like I liked the jinky wingers, apparently. <laughs> and and big Norman Whiteside up front. Who, first first start for, for under Fergie. First start under Fergie, uh, put him up front, which of course is where he sort of name made his name with United initially as a as a kid, and then got uh, converted into a midfielder, uh, and then injuries ruined his career too. Basically, yeah. Um, up front with the much maligned and mostly rightly so, but not in this game, Peter Davenport. Um, I remember when we signed him and shoot magazine saying, is he going to be United's first 25 goal a season man since George Best or whatever? Spoiler warning. Absolutely not. he wouldn't be. Well, at the end of this season is when Ferguson signs Brian McClare. Yeah. And he did become United's first 25 goal a season player since George Best. Um, But it it was funny, actually, in, in looking at the notes for this game, it was the same summer they tried to sign. He tried to sign Mark Haightley as well. And he might not have signed McClare if Haightley had come from Monaco. Mm. But uh, So he was like obviously looking at strikers, but two very different players there. Yeah, and obviously looking at strikers because he's looking at his strikers going, uh, I think we might need to do something about this. I mean, Davenport scores an, a legitimately brilliant goal in this game, but he didn't score many legitimately brilliant um, goals for United. Tottenham, absolutely packed with talent. I mean... Oh, yeah. Waddle- but not much of it that came out in the first half, I've got to say, but Aldiles, Hoddle, Waddle. I always enjoyed Waddle. Um, yeah. McMenemy, not a little, not a I have fan. a little anecdote, actually, about Waddle when he was at Sheffield Wednesday. I think, in fact, it's in the, in the game that Bruce scores too late to win it for United. He's um, He plays in that game, dives to get the penalty for Sheffield Wednesday, comes off. Uh, and my seat at Old Trafford at that time was in the South Stand. Never a great place to have a seat, but really close to the away bench, which was fun after I'd had a few uh, shandies. And uh, we gave him a lot of abuse and no one ever reacted except Waddle did. And he was like, oh, fuck off. And <laughs> 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 um, he gets booed every time he touches the ball in this game. And I was, I do not remember any like weird beef. He never played for Liverpool or City or anyone like that, but I couldn't work out why he was getting booed every time he touched the ball. 
Um, but he definitely was. The one player that I had no memory of at all from the Spurs team was Tony Gallen. That, that was a name. Like that's yeah, a name no, I, I, I know the since. name, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember him as a player. I mean, Clive Allen up front scored forty odd goals in this particular campaign, this is it, isn't it? This is the Clive Allen and a This is the Clive Allen season. Yeah, yeah it's really his only yeah. big season. Yeah, um, yeah. So Waddle, Hoddle, Ardiles coming to the end of his career. But still a talent. And um, it's funny watching some free kicks, actually, where Ardile's in his own half, just punts it straight down the middle. I was like, it's a super talented Spurs team that want to play football the right way, but it's English football in the mid-80s and he just knocks it. (laughs) Can can you not knock it? It really was, yeah. So, yeah, tons of... And this is Spurs side that finished third in the Premier League, lost to Coventry City in the FA Cup final and and made semi-finals of the League Cup. So a very good Spurs side. Yeah. And uh, I think um, in terms of like player performance in this game, I think in some ways the most like the most kind of eye catching performances were probably like, well, I thought Strachan was brilliant for us, um, but but Waddle and Hoddle, they they both look absolutely Yeah, Hoddle, especially in the second half. Yeah, after Ardiles had gone off and he's sort of shunted forward a little bit. Yeah, really comes into the game. And and Waddle, yeah, it's it's lovely watching him. He just, uh, he's a player just wants to beat whatever's in front of him. One man, two man, three men, doesn't matter. So Laurie McMenemy says at one point, oh, he's a very frustrating player. To, he must be a very frustrating player for a manager or for the players that play with him. And I'm like, is that how Chris Waddle was thought of? Like, go to Marseille where they were, like, deifying him once. And no wonder, like, he enjoyed not being in England anymore. They, they just... The yeah. English mistrust I mean, he, of skill was in full effect, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, he played 62 times for England, should have been a lot more. Waterline, uh, Hoddle only played 30-something for England, didn't he? Which was just criminal. Yeah, I mean, he had three fantastic seasons uh, in Marseille. Uh, Chris Waddle, it could have been more, came back, won a PFA Players Player of the Year in his first season back, which I feel won't say. So, yeah. yeah, tons of talent. And it showed for the first, what... 12 minutes. United score after 12 minutes. So the first 12 minutes, it's all Spurs. Absolutely. They are trying to play football. United are not in this at all. No. Uh, and you're thinking like, hmm, where are United's three goals coming from in this game? Because they're getting completely bossed. And and Motti says, um, as a, such a kind of snapshot in time, because David Pleat had only taken over Tottenham that season as well. And he says that United look nervous. And then he says like, well, the players need, time to set both teams players need time to settle under their new managers and it's just even though obviously we we know that Alex Ferguson's era must have begun at some point and we both remember it beginning it still has this sense of permanence in retrospect like he was always the United manager he will always be the United manager but no at one point like this was the first game that he had McGrath Robson and Whiteside um although of course McGrath didn't last much longer after the United goal. But let's talk about that United goal. What a free kick route. Where did this go? Like, Fergie gave up on all this business. There was none of this in the later period. Yeah. I mean, it's true. He had Phil Jones taking corners or whatever. (laughs) No, he didn't. (laughs) So that was someone else. Yeah. It's true. I don't... don't, I don't think of Ferguson as someone who sort of innovated around free kick routines at all. I mean, there was the the one where Beckham played it out to Skulls who volleyed it in from 900 yards. <laughs> but that was just the two of them doing that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, of course, as Fergie went on uh, in time as the United manager, he took on less and less of the direct coaching and farmed it out and he became much more of a basically a director of football and a sort of motivational speaker. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so maybe that's part of it. He didn't have the people in who who focused on that or football involved and the set piece became less centrally important to the English game and, and Fergie. Or, or what you said earlier, you know, this is a way of getting some quick wins. Yeah, because I, I suspect also um, the personnel makes a huge difference because if you've got David Beckham and Cristiano Ronaldo, don't really need to worry about being fancy from free kicks, just score goals. Um, but this one, so Robson... Um, Taps it to Davenport in the like who's like about by the penalty spot ish. He lays it off towards Olsen on the right hand side of the box. Olsen does a step over dummy and Strachan first time low cross, quite similar to the gigs cross for Cantona in that city game we just watched. And uh, Big Norm, lovely to see Big Norm getting a tap in. Just delightful. Whiteside scores and United are one nil up and massively against the run of play, but it's a it's just a perfectly executed one from the training ground, isn't it? Yeah. Norman Whiteside, only 21 at this stage. Wow. Should have gone on to have a magnificent career. So talented. Of course, played in the World yeah. Cup in 82, aged 17. Oh, yeah, mental. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got my, in my notes after this, uh, quite a lot of pointless balls forward from United. <laughs> it's like... Including Brian Robson, by the way, not oh, yeah, Brian yeah. Robson's best game. No, this. no, I think it, it, it really injury. isn't. Actually, there have been uh, better games we've seen him in in this series. Um, but yeah, I, I think shortly after that, he sort of he tries to play one out left to to Olsen, sort of shanks it, doesn't he? And he doesn't really get into the game at all in the first half, Robson. No, and he was it was as pointed out in commentary coming back from from injury. I guess coming back from the injury, right? The Morocco game uh, dislocated shoulder. Dislocate, yeah, yeah. I I, the actually, I don't, I don't, out. I don't know whether he played much before this for United this season. Or I mean, Robson was perpetually coming back from injury because that was yeah. Brian Robson. Um, but uh, yeah, true. Not 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 in this game a lot, and neither were United for quite some time. And um, I guess it's uh, when when. When do we get to one one? It's some time bef- after this, though, isn't it? No, no. In fact, United are two 0 up before half time. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So before all that, the next kind of major incident of note is that McGrath can't carry on, and clearly he's done his knee, um, twisted knee, which is like oh, there's something about the that ex- it just sounds so bad, doesn't it? Um, uh, but Stapleton comes on, proving that the Fergie Tombola was not a latter day invention. I mean, Frank Stapleton had played centre back before, but. This this feels like a very 80s thing to me. Uh, players that doubled as centre forwards and centre backs. You don't get too many many of those nowadays. You know, see, like if um if Toby Alderweireld went off injured, Harry Kane's not dropping back to fill in at centre half, is he? Uh, but Frank Stapleton, very much a centre forward um, in his early career, has a has a late career as a centre back, and and. Uh, I kind of thought when this happened, I wonder if this is going to be why Spurs get their goals, but it, but it isn't no, really. No, no, Stapleton's much wrong. fine. Yeah, I, I kind of wished uh, I, I met Frank Stapleton in a in a well, I interviewed him uh, with Sammy McElroy in a bar somewhere, and I can't remember which bar it was. It was kind of really weird conversation. It took a whole bunch of turns, but. Um, I kind of, looking back on this, I'd have liked to talk to him about what it was like 
being a centre forward, playing at centre half. The only yeah. other one I can think of, I'm sure there are others, but Dion Dublin did it yeah. quite a bit. So I mean, like I was Rude Hullet ended up being a sweeper, didn't he, at the end of his career? And you know, it wasn't. It was. It was a thing. And there was that. Who was that lad? There was um, played for Blackburn, I think. This is later nineties, oh, yeah. like Paul Warhurst. Yes, there you striker go. and defender. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, there's a lovely one too between Moran and Davenport. Like really nice move to get um to get one Moran one v one v the keeper, and uh, McMenemy says typical defenders finish. It's like he nearly he stabs it with the outside of his boot, deceiving the keeper, and trickles just one. Of this that's a typical eighties central defenders finish. <laughs> like I don't remember football. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose he panics a little bit. It's not. It's not a. It's not a little dink over the keeper. He doesn't try and go round <laughs> no. the keeper. He toe pokes it. Yeah, but also that's kind of like it's just interesting that from in open play the centre back is one v one with the keeper. And it really was from open play as well. It wasn't like a second ball after a corner or anything like that. I don't think. Um, but yeah, then there's a really nice cross from Davenport, which Gary Mabbott heads out. Paul Allen's a little bit weak in the challenge. So um, Davenport puts the ball in from the left uh, and Mabbott heads it back out towards the left. Paul Allen's beaten, skinned basically by Davenport, picks it up, cuts inside. Very narrow angled finish. Yes, very nice. Yeah, lovely. Uh, A player who's not been thriving with the greatest of confidence lately, as John Watson so (laughs) delicately put it. Or or ever. Uh, following in the long the long trail of forest players who've failed at Old Trafford. So him and Bertles. Bertles and Webb, yeah. Oh well, I don't know oh, whether yeah, you'd Webb. call Webb a failure. He perhaps didn't live up to what people the wanted next, of him. The next midfielder who United signed off Forest, it turned out all right though, after after Neil Webb, to be fair. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, lovely goal this so uh, yeah weak from Gary Mabbott they they effusive no, praise it, after he scores it's a poor header out it's a poor header out Paul Allen's really the Paul one, Allen's, yeah very weak uh went on to found uh Microsoft though so I thought it was you know it's pretty good <laughs> um the fact that Gary Mabbott scores a diving header in this game is like this is when I think of Gary Mabbott I think of this diving header that's like the, the first thing that pops into my head because there was nothing I liked as a child more than a diving-headed goal. That, like, but don't get enough diving-headers these days, do you? It's gone out of the game. Is that a fashion? In the 90s, yeah. People don't want to stick their head where other people wouldn't stick their boot anymore. Weak footballer. Sooness would do it, tell me. <laughs> yeah, he would. Idiot. Um, uh, uh, at half-time, Motson says the score's a flare reflection of the game and says that Spurs started brightly but tailed off. And he's absolutely right. They They didn't... They their bright start disappeared. Their confidence was not particularly solid, was it? No, it wasn't. Um, it, it's uh, it's funny how it took it took a big tactical change to bring Spurs back into this game. But clearly, yeah, for a, a team that finishes the third place in the league, they are they they didn't start that way in this game. I did find it funny after both of United's first two goals, um, the old Trafford crowd sparse as it was. Um, uh, like to one, um, breaks into song. Uh, Are you watching Merseyside? I was like, 
you know, finished first and second in the league that year. I mean, there might have been watching, but not with any great sense of dread. That they would come. That moment. Yes, it would. Um, I guess it's just like being on TV was such a unique thing because this match was televised live on the BBC. One of probably maybe 10 matches that season, if that, that would televise live. It was a very rare thing that, that certainly I'd like United would not be on the telly very often. Um, and it's kind of nice that this was televised, given it's so early in Fergie's reign and you can sort of, I don't know, there's the, there's the beginning of some sort of sense of fighting spirit from the United side that had been battle, battered. I mean, Norman Whiteside gave uh, an interview it, in the, the United podcast that he did a, a couple of weeks ago. He talked about Fergie coming in and saying, I don't care if you're Robson, McGraw or Whiteside, I'm the boss now. And like, so those three were the kind of, big boys in the team at the time even though like you said Whiteside was literally still basically a child at this point yeah yeah well he'd drive an awful lot of those players out in the next three years wouldn't he Stapleton Davenport McGrath McGrath lasted another two and a half years Olsen Remy Moses Strachan Whiteside for different reasons all gone in the next in the three years after this Ferguson just broke up this team and Mm. um for, for, you know, some of it for uh, performance reasons, some for drinking reasons. Quite a lot yeah. for drinking reasons. It's yeah, anyway, I mean, at half-time, Motson launches into this monologue about how the last time Spurs had won at Old Trafford uh, in the league, that is, um, was 10 years previous to this, 76, and they'd come back from 2-0 down to win 3-2. Could this happen again? Yeah. And he's got kind of a smile in his voice, like he's being a bit deliberately cheeky, really. Uh, and then before you know it, he's like, ah, oh, people say we make too much of these past events, but stuff does happen. Um, <laughs> I, right. I, I really enjoyed Motti in this. This is kind of prime Motti, I think. Like, as, as a kid, again, I think I preferred Motson to Barry Davis because Barry Davis seemed posh, which meant bad when I was a kid. Um, and... Uh, but obviously, like in retrospect, and probably by the time the nineties had rolled around, you know, I would have picked Barry Davis as as the the commentator of choice. But Marty does have a certain jovial, genial listenability and charm, doesn't he? Yes, and he doesn't editorialise around it too much. You know, few perspectives, a um, little bit of um, interplay with McMenemy, who's basically. Yeah, intolerant manager in front of a microphone. Yes, yeah, just at like this imagine point, Sunderland manager, which is kind of interesting because you don't get too many active managers doing uh, media these days, especially not co-commentary. I think that'd be unimaginable. If like, um, I can't even think who Newcastle manager is. Oh, I can only apologise to the people of Newcastle. Steve Bruce. It's Steve Bruce. It's Steve Bruce, that's who it is. That's how long football's been off the telly. Um, so imagine if Steve Bruce did the co-commentary on a Liverpool versus Arsenal game or something. It'd be great. It'd be I think fr- they should do it more often. Yeah, they should. I mean, Mourinho um, did a lot of media when he was out of work, but he wouldn't do yeah. it now. Yeah, of course not. I, I, mean, I wouldn't see do Ollie it. doing co-coms on the Liverpool derby or something like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not sure I do to be honest. Um, the uh, yeah, McMenemy has a pop at the Waddler, 
saying to manager no doubt to play with too who must be frustrated it's like crazy just basically if you haven't watched this game imagine that graham Souness is the co-commentator and you're you're about right um so but then it's an absolutely brilliant corner from glenn hoddle and an awesome diving header for gary mabbott to make it 2-1 it is very and- good Diving heavier, heavier. I mean, and and they just made the the substitution. Danny Thomas coming on for Ardiles juggled things around. Waddle wins the corner. Is it Hoddle who puts in the corner? It's Hoddle who puts in the corner. Waddle wins it. Hoddle delivers it. Yeah, and yeah, Mabbott with a flying header. I mean, the fact that there's no defenders anywhere near him is probably not a great sign, but it is a great corner and a great header. Um, he's a very nice character. He's praised, his plays praised, and he's called a very nice character. And of course, it is mentioned, as it inevitably was every time he appeared on television, that he was a diabetic because you couldn't talk about it. And then, um, I think it's Motson says, he's quite an eater too. <laughs> Yes. All right. All right, Mossy. Jesus. He was a bit tired this morning. Saw him have a huge breakfast in the canteen. It sorted him out. Yeah. Um, and so immediately mentioning his diabetes and his eating habits. Um, but yeah, it's a fantastic goal. And then, oh my God, Tottenham second is just a absolute disaster. Um, <laughs> it's it's a lovely attempt by Hoddle, isn't it? It's, it's the kind of left-footed chip, great piece of skill. But then I'm like... Mm, you're really only getting six out of ten for that for me because you're chipping Chris Turner. It's cheating. It's cheating. The guy's four foot tall. And, and like, it's not like Turner's massively out of position. He could easily deal with it. I think he's just scared because the ball's in the air and he's like, oh, I'm bad at this. This is the thing I know I'm bad at. And uh, he kind of lets it, he flaps it out. It goes past him. But Kevin Moran could definitely have avoided scoring an own goal in that moment. It's not like it ricochets off him from two yards out. He tries to scoop it out. Shin- and, Badly. And Shinzy, sort of, yeah. Yeah, that shins it into Phil the Phil Jones-esque, that attempt was, yes. It's it's quite, it's quite Phil, funny. Yeah. Phil Jones has never made a mistake that bad in his entire United career. That's This is how bad it is, I think. Oh, no, actually, maybe there's that one that he swung at and he went in the back of the net. But I don't, it hasn't happened very often. So this was the second time I'd ever seen Kevin Moran play football because obviously I wasn't able to go to games as a kid. Um, the uh, the first time he got sent off in the FA Cup final and the second time he scored this own goal. So I did not hold him in high esteem as a child. These are the things he does. Had United been on TV between the FA Cup final in 1985 and this? Maybe, like, probably not that often. Like, a couple of times, maybe. No, I mean, they... Um, no, they just didn't have that much football and, on TV. I mean, Motty and McMenemy, their their previous game before this was the Liverpool-Everton derby, which was two weeks before this, so they talk about it in co-coms. I mean, most commentators today are doing four games in eight days or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, because there's just so much football to commentate on. Um, Olsen has a nice break and goes to cross it. Davenport's waiting and Gary Mabbott does well to... Cut out the cross, and the pattern of play at this point is quite back and forth for a game that's gone from 2 0 to 2 all. It's not, again, like I think I said this about the City United game, this isn't necessarily a game of two halves in the way that the score might make you think it was, but Tottenham definitely were kind of on top at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, at this point, sort of an hour in or whatever, hour 70 minutes in, Hoddle's running the show, isn't yeah. he? he it, it's through him that the Spurs are able to kind of wrestle back some kind of control-ish. 
But you know, she's yeah. breaking, Olsen still lively. Um, it's amazing, you know, don't get any substitutions these days, <laughs> in those days, one. Um, so the pattern doesn't necessarily change through substitutions. Yeah. Um, uh, there's um, a couple of chances for Spurs. Allen has a good chance before he before he gets the goal as well, um, which is the one that looks like it's going to put the nail in the coffin for United. And an absolute mess, this one as well. So Huddle to Waddle on the byline, swings across over, and uh, Alan heads it from one yard, and it ricochets off Robbo, I think, um, as he's trying to get to the cross. I've just written, Turner, not great. <laughs> I mean, it's a kind of sort of scooped cross, which I suppose to give, could give you the... The you know could 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 confuse the keeper or something yeah, like that. Yeah, because it kind of bounces off Robson, doesn't it? As he yeah. as the ball's coming across. But but he's in the middle of his goal. He's got it. He just doesn't move. So and anyway. who is supposed to be marking Clive Allen? I don't know. Don't know Clive. Don't know who's supposed to be marking him. But he's he's two yards out. So someone should have been. It was. I think he he collides. Maybe it's Moran actually. Because I think he collides with Moran while he's trying to score and. Starts bleeding quite a lot, Clive Allen. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was scoring a goal a game this season, more than a goal a game this season. Um, but yeah, it's just really bad defending. But United, you'd think this team that's kind of browbeaten, exhausted, players coming back from injury, got a new manager because the last manager got sacked, they might kind of give up and their heads go down, but they really don't. And Robson has a chance where it's kind of like um, he's falling and spinning um, and he sort of sends it wide. Um, but that's a pretty good, it's a pretty big chance. Um, he's just off balance and you could easily have seen him score it even off balance. And then I, Danny Thomas plays brilliantly after he comes on. He's, he's like Hoddle's running the show, but Thomas's arrival is a massive injection of kind of energy and talent and he defends really well. And then, I don't know what, happens to his brain in this month he's not exhausted he's only played half the game no that's right i mean it's robson that should be exhausted coming back from injury but bursting into the box the the and robson. thomas just falls on him yeah, he just, yeah like, it's just a mess yeah and then a really good penalty from peter davenport under pressure i was surprised that peter davenport would be on pens in this team i'm not sure who i, don't know, I guess robson didn't take penalties but kind of thought maybe Robson or, you know, Whiteside even. Um, but no, Peter Davenport's got penalty duties and he, I mean, Clements gets a hand to it, goes the right way, but it's really firmly struck. Um, just above a nice height for a keeper, I'd say. Uh, yeah. So Clements is right. J- just about, just about. And United could have won it a minute, a minute before the the end. Uh, another good break and Richard Goff... Play the World Cup in Strachan's yep. side with in Scotland, sort of heads over his own bar from underneath the crossbar. Yeah, uh, yeah, very, very, yeah. That, that would have been a classic. I mean, <laughs> so three all it finishes, and it felt like a fair result. And Motson very excited, saying the crowds will come back if they keep getting served up games like this. And it would turn out to be true. This was. You know, Ferguson would build a swashbuckling, exciting United side that would kind of capture the imagination of of multiple generations, really. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed revisiting this game. The quality is not the highest, 
Um, it is kind of a bit mid, bit of a mid-table clash, but there's some really talented players. Lot of players that played in a World Cup for a for an 80s mid-table clash, and it just sort of shows the the great paradox of 80s United. Really, just sparkling stars all around the pitch, and just somehow not able to quite knit it all together. Not quite enough cohesion and team spirit and all that kind of stuff. But Fergie would obviously see to that and you know six years later we'd win the first league title that we won and and then we just would not stop winning league titles for another 20 years it's very true so uh, what are we what are we talking about next time well we've just gone back the furthest we've gone back in time and watched some actual bona fide old football from before united were good um we're not going to go all the way to united not being good anymore <laughs> in the future but we are zooming in our time machine back to much well i was going to say much much more recent times and it's obviously much more recent than this but it's still god like seven and a half years ago which is is that's true what i just said is true it's seven and a half years ago that is insane yes so this is this is the three two city derby at the Etihad, robin van persie yeah. He's apparently the last Manchester United player to score a Premier League hat trick. <laughs> That's not great, is it? It's not great. It's not great. This was on Twitter. And I think it was some someone being smart with a sort of let that sink in from an Arsenal account. To which Scott from the Republic of Mancunia said, uh, last time Arsenal won the title, Robin Van Persie was 20 and at Feyenoord. He's now retired. Age 36, you still haven't won the title. I thought it was a fair comeback, to be fair. Pretty good. Anyway. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it was lovely to go back to the 80s, but we're going to fast forward to much more recent times. Are are we going to be covering some stuff uh, in in future episodes from the the Moy season? Maybe the uh, 82 crosses? We could could rate each cross from 1 to 82. (laughs) That sounds very tiring, but hey, by the time all this ends, we might, that might be where we are. Um, I wouldn't mind doing one or two Van Gaal games maybe at some point, but, you know, remember the FA Cup final or something, but, you know, or the uh, Tony Martial semi-final. All right, well, thanks for listening to this. We'll post the links to both this game, uh, in if you haven't watched it already, you should have done. Yeah, if you, if you, you could... You're fine just watching the extended highlights on YouTube of this one. Yeah, and and next week's game as well, you'll... uh, You'll be able to find this one all over the internet, but uh, most of them we post in the show notes so you can get hold yeah. of it. This is also the first game that we're doing that we have covered before, so maybe we should uh, listen to what we said. And maybe if I if I get time, I will watch the game and listen to the show if I can find it, actually. No, scratch that. <laughs> Forget that. You can't You'll be it able to find it. Anymore. It's just the date of... Uh, yeah, you can. It's, we have the archive on the web. So, oh, okay, yeah. great. Okay. Yeah. Lovely. So, yeah, we'll, we'll find that and listen to that. I mean, I can find it because I've got FTX, FTP access to the, the old server. So, you know, <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we hope that you are taking real good care of yourselves mentally and physically, staying real safe. And um, we're sending all our love. And if you're on the front lines, a massive amount of gratitude. And if we had letters on the front of our house, we'd be lighting them up for sure. Certainly would. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for listening.